didn't think as that was being read there, I, I just uh, thought how amazing it is that, you know, a thousand years before Christ, there's uh, David writing this that so clearly points to Jesus and all that he's done for us. Now, I think on the whole, we want people to show gratitude towards us. After all, it's just good manners, isn't it? Uh, But sometimes we can be quite pedantic about this, and we can get very annoyed if we think that someone's being ungrateful. Have you ever uh, held a door open for someone, and they just walk through and not even acknowledge you? And you might have uh, said or at least thought, you're welcome. Or you're in your car stuck in traffic and you magnanimously let someone go in front of you. And you pretend you're not, but really you are looking for some little uh, sign of acknowledgement. It can be quite subtle, just lifting the finger off the steering wheel and you think, oh, okay, good, they're grateful. So we can be quite demanding of other people's gratitude. And oftentimes, uh, if it's a bigger thing or, or just lots of small things and it's someone that's close to us, we can feel like they're taking us for granted. Uh, And sometimes they are, and it's not nice, it's not pleasant. But don't we catch ourselves doing it sometimes? I mean, taking other people for granted. And the people we take for granted tend to be those who are closest to us and the ones that do the most for us. As a church leader, there are a lot of people to whom I want to express my gratitude. Uh, But sometimes I'm so focused on what all the volunteers are doing that I overlook what my own wife is doing, what Tissa's doing. Tissa is the most supportive person in my life. She's my best friend and confidant. So how could I forget to show my appreciation to her? Well, uh, hopefully most of the time I don't, but I think sometimes I do. And I think it's because she's always there. She's entirely consistent. She's the person that I uh, depend on the most. The people we take for granted tend to be those who are closest to us and the ones who do the most for us. I think the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. God has done infinitely more for us than every other person in our life put together. And yet we so often take him for granted. Our gratitude can be half-hearted, our praise sporadic, our worship lackluster. King David, who we know to have written Psalm 103, begins it like this. He says, praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord, my soul. Our praise and worship should involve every aspect of our being. Our gratitude to God is not merely a rational thought. Okay, I know that God has done all this for me, and so I ought to be grateful. Our gratitude is so much more than that. It wells up from deep within us. That's one of the reasons that uh, right now we're encouraging people uh, to be more expressive in worship. We want to praise the Lord with every fiber of our beings. Body language is important. If you meet up with a friend, there are a number of ways that you could greet them. You could stand here uh, like this, arm folded, and say, hello. You could shake their hand and smile and say, how are you going? Or you could embrace them and say, it's so good to see you. Our body language, uh, not just when we uh, meet up with someone, but throughout the whole conversation, has a huge impact on the quality of that interaction. 
Studies have shown that uh, between 70 and 93% of all communication is non-verbal. So I don't think it's any different when we're relating to God. Non-verbal communication, body language, it's important. It sets the tone for that interaction. Now, to be honest, I'm not naturally uh, inclined to raise my hand during worship. Um, if you were here a few weeks ago, you know that Leanne was encouraging us to do it during uh, one of the songs, and we talked about it beforehand, so I knew it was coming. Uh, but if I, was, if I was at another church and they said, well, now we're, you're going to ra- raise your hands for the next song, I'd be like, well, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> but, you know, the other week when we did it, I did feel more connected. I felt like I was worshipping with more than just my voice. And that's a little step in the right direction. Because the psalmist is encouraging us to worship the Lord with every fiber of our beings. Psalm 103 is a pure song of praise. And it gives us so many reasons to be grateful to God. We see that God is the only one worthy of our praise and worship. Because the benefits of being in a relationship with God far exceed those of any human relationship. God is described in so many ways in the Bible as a king, a ruler, a mother, a father. You remember Jesus talking about uh, a mother, mother hen, uh, but more usually a father, but a mother too, a friend. And if we reflect on the very best possible kings, rulers, parents, and friends, we will learn something about the nature of God. But no human being is sufficient to take God's place. So if we work through this psalm, Psalm 103, we'll see the limitations of human relationships and we'll see the all-sufficiency of God. Verses uh, 2 to 3 say, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So the first thing is that God forgives our sins, which is the foundation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Have you ever been forgiven by somebody? I mean, another human being. Uh, When I was 18, I rolled my dad's car down an embankment. uh, And technically, it was an accident. But let's just say I wasn't really driving responsibly. And I came out of it relatively unscathed. uh, But the car was written off spectacularly. And I thought I was in big trouble. Uh, I was very remorseful. Uh, But to my amazement, my dad forgave me instantly didn't seem to be a problem. I think he was just pleased that I was okay. But it came as such a relief. I was so grateful. (laughs) But human forgiveness is imperfect. We've all got people that we need to forgive, stuff that we need to forgive. And we know that it's not easy. It's not easy. Resentment keeps rearing its ugly head. Sometimes we say that we've forgiven someone, but then we keep bringing up that thing that we're supposed to have forgiven. Jesus told us to forgive 70 times, 70 times, uh, sorry, 70 times, seven times. In other words, that we keep on and on forgiving. But we do struggle with that. Because if someone keeps doing the same thing, it becomes harder and harder to forgive. The relationship gets more and more strained. That's our forgiveness. God's forgiveness is perfect. It's given the instant that we truly repent. God draws a line under our sin and gives us a fresh start. 
You know, part of the reason that we're often not as grateful as we should be is not only do we take God for granted, but we take sin for granted. We have become desensitized to sin because we've encountered it one way or another every day of our lives. We sin and are sinned against constantly. Not only that, but we've got access to so much information that we know everything that's going on everywhere in the world, and we're no longer shocked by anything. The the stuff that's going on out there in the world dupes us into thinking that the stuff going on in here, in our hearts, is of little consequence. It's not. Just imagine for a moment, Jesus, who was and is God, being nailed to a cross. Picture that scene. Well, your sin alone and my sin alone is so serious that for you and I to receive the benefits described in this psalm, Jesus would still have had to go through that for each one of us. Verse 4 says that God redeemed your life from the pit. Redeemed your life from the pit. If you ever want a reason to be grateful. Just think about what it cost Jesus to do that. And the second part of verse 3 says, God heals our diseases. Well, God uh, deals with our sickness uh, in a a different way to, to the way that he deals with our sin. Our sin is forgiven instantly. And healing can be instant, but it's not always. But God will heal all our diseases. It's a promise. It's as good as done in this life or the next. Have you ever had a successful surgery or been to a doctor who was compassionate and thorough, who pinpointed what was wrong and got it sorted out? How did you feel towards that surgeon or doctor? I bet you were grateful. You're probably singing their praises afterwards. How much more grateful should we be to God who promises to heal all our diseases, who promises to give us a new resurrection body, no less? And then moving on, verse 6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Justice is a huge concern in our culture. Uh, It's making the headlines in one way or another all the time. And it's actually having a polarizing effect on society because no one can agree on what the real injustices are or how we should address them. So I'll give you some examples where there's kind of polarized opinion on different issues. And I want to make it clear, I'm not giving a personal opinion on any of these uh, issues. Uh, We do talk about everything that's going on in the world, but that's not the point of this. I just want you to see the 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 the, uh, opposing views that exist on a whole range of justice issues. So some uh, feminists argue that uh, women are severely disadvantaged by the remnants of an oppressive patriarchy that has kept women down since the dawn of time. And then those on the other side of the debate say, well, actually, in a Western democracy, the opportunities for men and women are quite uh, balanced. Now, that's an issue of justice, and you find people with very different opinions on it. Um, Racism has been in the news a lot. Uh, Advocates for BLM will say that our social structure and our institutions are all inherently racist. And then others on the other side of the debate say, well, actually, we've made good progress in this area, and putting the spotlight on race is creating more tension. 
And it's an issue of justice, and people have very different views on it. Many are furious about the situation in Afghanistan. They feel that a gross injustice has been done, that the Afghan people have been let down. Conversely, there are those who say, well, the West shouldn't have got involved in such a complicated situation in the first place. It's an issue of justice, but people come at it from different perspectives. Some consider um, governments that impose vaccine passports to be unjust, that it's a breach of civil liberties. Others argue that it's necessary uh, in order to prevent the spread of the pandemic. So we've got all these issues and very different views. There's so many issues of justice being discussed at the moment, and everybody has a strong view, but of course not everyone agrees, and it creates uh, a lot of division. Isn't it wonderful to have the assurance, and, and, and I should just say, you know, we should be concerned about issues of justice, and we should as Christians try and you know, understand what, what justice is in every situation. But isn't it wonderful to have the assurance that ultimately no issue of justice hinges on subjective human feelings or opinions, nor on the prevailing moral zeitgeist of the culture, nor on a particular government and its policies or ideology, nor on any group or individual who may or may not be on the side of truth and justice. Justice hinges on the goodness and the sovereignty of God, who will arbitrate with absolute fairness in every case. Isn't that good news? He will work righteousness and justice for all those who are oppressed. That is something to be incredibly grateful for. Justice ultimately will be done. We can count on God for that. Verses 8 and 9 say this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Uh, Of course, we're grateful to God for his compassion, his grace, and his love. But the word anger is used twice in this passage, and and some people might wonder why anger is mentioned in a a psalm that is purely about praising God, about our gratitude to God. God is slow to anger, it says, and he won't harbor his anger forever. But that means that he does get angry. And we struggle with that because when we see anger in other human beings or in ourselves, it's generally a very negative thing. Often it's about retaliation or vengeance, and to some extent it's uncontrolled, kind of like, well, you've hurt me, so I'm going to get you back. But for God, when it comes to his people, the motivation for his anger is compassion. We see it all there in the same verse. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Often the Bible, uh, in the Bible, God is likened to a loving father a perfect father. And we might be tempted to think, well, a perfect father would never get angry. But you know, there are two kinds of parents that are guaranteed to ruin their child. The first is the passive or neglectful parent. They don't care what their child does. Nothing phases them. Nothing incites any strong emotion when their child is concerned. Uh, They don't get angry because they really don't care. They just let the child get on with it. The other kind of parent that can destroy their child's life is the abusive parent. They're not slow to anger. They fly off the handle at the slightest little thing, and their anger is uncontrolled. It it causes damage mentally, emotionally, uh, physically. The child of an abusive parent lives in fear. 
Both these kinds of parent, the neglectful parent and the uh, abusive parent, will leave their child feeling lost, confused, and unloved. Any good parent will tell you that when their child is displaying behavior that is destructive for them and others, the behavior that, if left unchecked, will cause them great pain further on in life, it evokes strong emotions, including anger. God could hardly be described as a loving father if he didn't get angry when he saw his children destroying themselves. But we must remember that human anger can be deeply sinful, and God's anger is pure and perfect. In the Old Testament, whenever God was angry uh, with his people, when he uh, punished them by sending them into exile, it wasn't uncontrolled, uh, vindictive, spiteful anger. It was righteous anger. God desired to wake his people up so that they might recognize their sin and turn away from it, so that they'd have a better relationship with God, they'd have a better relationship with one another, they'd have a better life. So even God's anger is something to be grateful for, because when it comes to his people, it comes from a place of love and compassion. We see it in verses 10 to 11. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So in his great love for us, and as it says further on in the psalm, God has removed our transgressions from us. How? By taking the punishment that we deserve. And then verses 13 to 18 draw our attention to our mortality. Our mortality. We are here today and gone tomorrow. And if you don't have any hope beyond this life, that can be a very disconcerting and depressing thought. But the first part of verse 17 tells us that we will be with God forever. It says from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. We will enjoy God's love forever. If that's not something to be grateful for, I don't know what is. I can remember going to a party at my friend's house. Ben Smith was his name. And there were about 12 very lively little boys running around this house for about three hours. Uh, Of course, when my dad came to collect me, I didn't want to go home. And I can remember him saying, all good things have to come to an end. Whereupon uh, Ben's dad, who was almost dead by this point, said yes. And sometimes it's not a bad thing when they do. But both dads were wrong. The very best thing in life, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, will not end. Those who have put their faith in Jesus will experience his love forever. From everlasting to everlasting. The final three verses of this psalm speak to us about God's kingship. And of course, we always look through the lens of the New Testament. So we want to say Jesus' kingship. Verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Think of the rulers of this world, the rulers of today even. Uh, Some are despotic, others are incompetent, admittedly some are better than others, but there isn't a single world, world leader, past or present, who wasn't or isn't deeply flawed. Uh, 
even today, a lot of people, especially in the UK, are very grateful to Winston Churchill for his uh, leadership in World War II. I include myself among them. Uh, but I still have to acknowledge that he was deeply flawed. He made some terrible decisions. No doubt a lot of his motives were not good. He was human. He was sinful. Contrast all of that with Jesus. He is the perfect king, the perfect ruler. He will never let us down. He will never break a promise. Every decision he makes is perfect, and all his plans will come to fruition. Not only does he speak the truth, but he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He loves his subjects so much that he was willing to die for them. He's the only king worthy of our allegiance, the only ruler who merits nothing but love, gratitude, and devotion. Our best human relationships are beneficial to us, and they can even reveal something of the nature of God to us. But no human relationship can adequately meet our deepest needs. No king, no ruler, no government, no parent, no friend, or any combination thereof can meet our deepest needs. And whilst we might have good reason to be grateful for, to, to other human beings and we should express that gratitude, we have infinitely more reason to be grateful to God. Through Jesus, he forgives all our sins. He promises to heal all our diseases. He deals justly with all people. He loves us perfectly and promises to do so forever. He has overcome our mortality and he rules flawlessly forever. Psalm 103 begins and ends with these words. Praise the Lord, my soul. Let that be uh, let us have those words on our lips forever. Praise the Lord, my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the mess and muddle of our everyday lives, it's easy to uh, look at the things that are not going our way, things that are, are frustrating us or that we're struggling with. And it's very easy to, to take you for granted and all that you've done for us, to forget the great benefits of having a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that this morning you will stir our hearts to just this deep gratitude and praise welling up from within us in recognition of what you have done and how much you have blessed us. Help us to count our blessings today, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.